Welcome to church. All right. Look at that. I, got, I can do the slides and everything. That is pretty sweet. All right, let's bow our heads and pray. Our Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful to be a part of your kingdom. So grateful and humble just that, that we can speak your words. Father, that we can know the truth that you've laid out for us. Father, I know that, that you are wanting to speak to our hearts tonight, today, that you are wanting to teach us and help us, Father, to grow and be transformed by your Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that you just remove me and speak uh, through me and just encourage the church this morning. Help us as we continue our journey to be transformed, to become more like Jesus. Uh, Father, we thank you so much because without him, we are nothing. Thank you for all that you do, Father, and how much you love us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome, everybody. My name is Rob. And as you can see, Drew and Jenny, the majority of our campus and all of our teens are off and away at the teen and campus retreat out in Maryland. Uh, they're they doing some great things out there. Um, it's so exciting. And just to, to share a little bit of good news um, regarding the, the teen retreat, the Blue Ridge Church here, we, have, we actually have sent seven teens to the retreat, seven registered teens to the retreat. That is, I mean, it just blows my mind. It is super encouraging. And we need to praise God that he is really doing something very special you know, within this church, within our youth and family ministry. I really want to lift up uh, Bobby and, and the Audrey and, and Sharon and, and, and Julie Smith and how much they have given their hearts so much to our kids, to our children's ministry. And it works. It works. If we, all, if we all get in, if we all give our hearts, it works. We will have an amazing youth and family ministry. And, and this is just fruit of it. Evidence of it as we sent seven kids. One of those kids happens to be my daughter Kathy, um, and she is doing great. As she's been uh, voxing us, the family. Yes, Vox. I am on Vox. If you don't know what Vox is, look it up. <laughs> Figure it out. But my daughter is voxing me. She um, actually voxed me, and she texted me, and it said Wood, Wood, W U D. I'm like at work going, what? Is it? She's obviously misspelled something here. That's why I go, no wait probably one of those internet things. So let me just Google that up, figure out what it is. And sure enough, wood means what you doing? What you doing? I'm like, I'm working. She's like, oh, awesome. I'm in a lesson. I'm hanging out with my friends. It's awesome. I said, great. That is amazing. But, but God is doing some incredible things out there um, in Maryland. And, and we're just so excited uh, to be able to, to send our campus and our, and our teens and our leaders you know, out there. Um, and God is working. And, and so it's March. Right, so we're almost three months into 2017, right? And our theme this year has been transformation by the Spirit. And as part of that, we've been studying out the book of Ephesians. And this morning, we're in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse, um, we'll be looking at verses 17 and 32. Um, but I don't know if you guys were here last week, but if you were... We were treated to an amazing uh, lesson from Stephen. I did a great job of preaching on the first part of chapter 4, talking about unity, unity within the church. He gave us that image of the phalanx, the, the Greek military formation that, that helped them to overcome and actually beat the Persians, which was 
at that time, uh, the largest, the, the greatest um, empire the world has ever known, and probably maybe one of the greatest that, that has ever been. Um, but what an incredible, what an incredible um, lesson he gave us. But this week, we're going to go ahead and finish off that chapter. And as we started to see last week, chapter 4 begins kind of a shift of focus uh, that Paul has in this letter, and he's writing. You know, where the first three chapters, the letter was focused more or aimed more at doctrine, about doctrinal interests. These last three chapters, chapters 4, 5, and 6, are going to be more focused on the issues of morality, the issues of Christian living and how we are meant to live our, our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ. And so I, I say that um, to show that we're about to get really practical. You know, Paul is, is really going to get practical uh, with the church. And so just coming in and, and preaching a lesson on chapter, verses 17 to 32, we can't read that in a vacuum. And we can't forget what we have learned in the previous three chapters, from chapters 1, 2, and 3. So I just want to give, before I get into the, to the text today, I just want to give a touch, um, give a little bit of highlights uh, from the first three chapters so that they can be fresh in our mind as we continue our studies. You know, one of the highlights is in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10, where, you know, Paul writes, he writes, In him, meaning Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. You know, ultimately, through that redemption, the ultimate goal that God has in plan is the goal of uniting, it says, uniting all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Man, what an amazing concept. You know, one day, the things on heaven and the things on earth are going to be united. And that's what we have to look forward to. That's what we're striving for. That's what we're working towards. We're working towards renewing the earth, renewing the things on earth, so that one day, heaven and earth can be combined and and everything could be made new. In Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 8 through 10, really the highlight of Ephesians, right? The most critical, probably the most important passage we can ever ever listen to. Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Paul's saying, look, we have to remember God's grace. We have to. God's grace needs to be in the forefront of our minds at all times. And so I'm, we're preaching on these practicals. If we preach on the practicals and we, don't, if we forget God's grace, then all of a sudden it just becomes a list of rules of what I need to do. We're not going to do that. We're not going to be that way. We're going to remember, we're going to do these things because of what God did for us. Because of his gift. And then I love in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul has this amazing prayer. Where he's praying and he's, he's asking, he's asking God to grant us all the knowledge of, of Jesus' love for us. And how great it is. And the magnitude of it. And how high and wide and deep his love is for us, and of course, that love that was expressed to us through his death on the cross. You know, we, gotta, we have to remember these things as we move on and we begin to look in Ephesians chapter 4, okay? Amen. So, the title of my lesson today, let's see if I can work this. Oh, can you guys see that? The title of my lesson today is That New Car Smell, right? Everyone loves the new car smell, right? No? Bonnie's shaking her head. No, okay. Of course, there's always some people who don't love the new car smell. I love the new car smell. You know, this, this past November, 
Um, when I was still working with, with GE, um, my mileage on my company car had, had passed the point, so I, I was able to get a new company car, right? And so it was awesome. Um, I actually got to go to the, the Chevy dealerships. It was a 2017 brand new Chevy Equinox. And I remember going out there, doing all the paperwork, handing me the keys, and I got in that car, <sighs> and just breathing in. I was like, oh, <laughs> this smells so good. I mean, and the, so the, the new, I mean, there's a, there's a whole science behind the new car. I'm a chemist, so I, I love this stuff, right? This is just, man, what is that, what is that new car smell? And, but nobody can figure it out. You know, they do all these studies. They figure out what's in the air. What is it? And it's a lot of bad stuff. I don't want to, Bonnie's shaking her head yes. Most of, it, most of it is not very good. But no one can, no one can really pinpoint what it is that gives it that new car smell. It's pretty, but there's a, there's a huge market for it. They actually um, have fragrances that you can buy at the auto parts store. That's the new car smell. So you can, you can keep your car smelling exactly the way, the way you want it. Um, and it's amazing because we love it. We want to recreate that smell. We don't want it to go away, right? And there's nothing like it. But unfortunately, you know, we know that over time, what's going to happen? That that smell is eventually is going to fade away. Right? It's going to slowly fade away, you know, and over time until it's gone completely. Until you get into that car and you're like, whew, what happened in here? <laughs> Where'd it go? You know, I have a, a 2004 Camry, Tiffany and I drive. Um, the new smell, new car smell is gone. <laughs> it is gone completely. Anybody have a car, or driving a car that's in the 90s? Ah, we got one. Any 80s? Your, that, your new car smell is completely gone, Tom. It is, it is gone for good. But what if I told you, what if we could keep that new car smell forever? Right? What if I told you that I could take your stinky old car, right? I could take that stinky old car and give it that new car smell. So it was like it was completely brand new. Would you be interested? Yeah, would you take me up on that? Well, you know, the Christian life is a lot like that new car smell. You know, when we come out of the waters of baptism, we are doused with the new car smell. You know, Paul actually writes in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 15, that we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ. We have the new car smell. But if we're not careful, right? Just like in our cars, that smell can slowly fade away. So the question then becomes, how can we keep that new car smell from fading away, right? So we're going to take a look at two points and several practicals, right? Because I said it was about to get practical from our text this morning. So let's um, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Hopefully you guys have turned there. And we'll start reading in verse 17. Boom, there's our text. I couldn't print out the whole thing. It would be too small. You wouldn't be able to read any of that. But here we go. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance 
that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I mean, you could have a whole lesson there. I could pretty much stop right there. But we'll keep going on. He says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. If all those weren't enough, you throw on malice as well. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as in God Christ forgave you. There's a lot there. It's a lot of stuff. Let's, um, we're going to do our best here to go through it. But I have two points, like I said. So my first point is no longer. You know, Paul begins this by saying that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. You know, to Paul, when he wrote this, there was only two types of people in the world. There were Jews, and there were Gentiles. You had the people of God on one hand, and you had the pagans on the other. You know, Paul is talking here about the pagans. You know, that's... You know, if we, if we think about that, he's really talking to the majority of us here in the room today, right? You know, most, I believe most of us here are probably Gentiles. We're pagans. I know I was, for certain. You know, because that is what we were. And so he describes here, you know, how the Gentiles lived their life. How they walked. And it's, it's pretty eye-opening. It's pretty sobering. You know, how did they walk? It says they walked with futile minds. Their minds were futile. You know, that means they were incapable of providing any useful result. Like nothing good could come from their minds. They were completely, their thinking was completely pointless. It says that they were darkened in their understanding. They were alienated from God because of their ignorance, but most importantly, because they had a hard heart. 
You know, it says that they were callous. You know, the word that they, that they use here you know, actually refers to the deadening of the skin so that you, can't, you won't feel any pain. You lost, lose all sensitivity, all ability you know, to feel. And that's how their hearts had become. So much so that they would give themselves up to sensuality, to greed, to practice every kind of impurity. You know, have any of us read Romans chapter 1? Sounds a lot like that, doesn't it? It's kind of the condensed version of Romans chapter 1, you know, where, where Paul is talking about the depravity of a man, of man. Well, now imagine that you are one of the Ephesians, that you're in the first century and you're living in Ephesus at the time of this letter. And we know that Ephesus was the home of the temple of Artemis. You know, that temple, we can't understate the, the magnitude of what that temple was. It's actually considered to be uh, one of the ancient seven wonders of the world. And we know that Artemis was a goddess of fertility. You know, in essence, a goddess of sexuality. And so here you are. That's, I mean, that's the main attraction of your city. The temple of the goddess of fertility. So you're essentially in the heart of the pagan world. I mean, what's the corollary that we could think of here? Maybe Las Vegas? New Orleans or Mardi Gras? I don't know. I like New Orleans, so that's a nice place. But then all of a sudden, you hear this guy Paul. This guy Paul comes around and he's, he's talking about this guy named Jesus. And he sits down with you. And he teaches you the gospel. And you make the decision to make Jesus Lord of your life. And you repent and are baptized. And now, you have to keep going living as a new disciple of Jesus in this society. The temple of Artemis doesn't vanish. It doesn't go away. It's still there. The people that worship her, all the citizens of the city, all your friends, all your family, they're all still there. But now, you're living a part of that. And Paul is telling you now, He's telling you, and he says, you must no longer live the way you used to. You must no longer live like your friends. No must longer live like your family. No longer live that way. You know, in the NIV, if you read the NIV, it says Paul actually insists on it. He's emphatic that you can no longer do that. That's my point, number one. No longer. We can no longer live that way. You know, if we claim to be a Christian, a true disciple of Jesus Christ, our life has to be changed. Our life has to be different. We can no longer live the way the world does. We can no longer live as we used to. It's not an option. You know, unfortunately, you know, many people believe that, that they could just add Jesus to their life. You know, add a little bit of Jesus into their life, just accept Jesus into my heart, and I'll be good, I'll be set, but then yet go on and continue living their same old life, doing the same old things that they, used to, that they used to do before. They think they can go out and do whatever they want Saturday night, as long as they wake up Sunday morning or maybe Sunday afternoon and just go to church and ask 
inwardly ask God for forgiveness. But Paul says, no longer. We can no longer live that way. We have no choice. We need to stop. You know, the temptation for us is always going to be to revert back to the mean. It's always going to be to revert back to what's comfortable to us, to the way we were before. This is way true, you know, in my life. You know, before I became a Christian, when I was growing up, I was a shy person, very shy. I still am in a lot of ways. And, you know, I was good around a small group of people, but in, in larger social interactions, parties, things like that, man, it, it was hard. It drove me crazy. I, I just couldn't talk to people. And, and so, what I, so what I found was that if I drank, but just, you know, had a couple beers, you know, I could loosen up, you know, and I could, you know, socially, you know, hang out and talk and be funny and be cool, right? And then more and more, if I drank a little bit more, I drank a little bit more, you know, I felt more comfortable, more comfortable until, you know, I drank so much that it led me, you know, to do things that I look back on in disgust. But then all of a sudden, you know, like, the, like the Ephesians, I'm approached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I make Jesus my Lord. And I repent and I'm baptized. And I get up and all of a sudden, those who are studying the Bible say, you can no longer do that. You can no longer get drunk. But if, you, if you've been around the kingdom for a long time, you know, the kingdom's very social. We like to do things together. We like to do things socially. And now all of a sudden, my crutch... You know, my belief system, the thing that I fell to, to be able to socially interact, you know, was taken, taken away from me. And I had, to, I had to figure out how I can, you know, how I can change. But, you know, there were times when we'd, go, we'd have a church party, you'd think a church party would be, you know, something awesome, something fun, and something great. And then I'd find myself thinking, man, where's the beer? Man, I just need a drink. Let me go out and get a drink so I could be comfortable. It's that temptation to go back to the way I was. But I could no longer do that. I can no longer do that. You know, I could say I haven't touched a beer in, I don't know, over 18, 19 years. I haven't touched a drink. So I continue to drink, you know, as a disciple. And I'm not saying drinking's wrong, okay? That's not, that's not what, I'm, what I'm saying. For me, it was my crutch. It was what I fell back on. And it wasn't, it wasn't right for me. I had to give it up. I could no longer do that. It's going to be our temptation. You know, what about us? You know, are we still living the way we used to? You know, have we lost that new car smell? You know, that's what it is. When we start going back, we lose that new car smell. We don't have to do that. Why not? Because it leads to point number two. Be renewed. You know, Paul insists, he says, but that is not the way you learn Christ. You didn't learn Christ from doing those things. From the way you used to live before, that didn't lead you to Christ. It was a new way of life that led you to Christ. And he, you know, you can almost sense the sarcasm 
And Paul here, when he's like, assuming, you know, you were taught <laughs> about Christ. And maybe if you weren't, maybe we need to, to sit down and teach you again. But that's not the way we were taught about Christ. You know, he says, we need to get rid of the old self. We need to put off, literally like clothes. Like you need to take it off. You need to put it off. Go out and bury it and burn it. You need to get rid of the old self. Everything from those previous verses that we talked about. All the ways that those Gentiles live, we need to get rid of it. Put it off. Instead, what do we need to do? We need to be renewed. But Paul says we need to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Man, that's a deep, that's a deep sentence right there. And what does that mean? What does that really mean? The spirit, I mean, a lot of times it talks about our minds. We can all know what our minds is, our brain, the way we think, right? But what is the spirit of our minds? And I believe, you know, all of us have, you know, what we could call a mindset or a point of view, right? You know, we all have our way of seeing and interpreting the world around us. And this mindset that we have is a product of, of many different variables in our lives. You know, whether it be our genetics, a lot of it can be from our genetics, our environment, our upbringing, the way we were raised by our families, and of course, our life experiences. And all these things work together to create that point of view, to create that mindset, which includes all of our belief systems, which for me included the belief that that I couldn't be a social person, that I wasn't cool enough, that I needed something to help me. You know, it's all those things are wrapped up into our mindset. It's how we view the world around us and how we view ourselves. You know, that is the spirit of our minds, but it needs to be made over. It needs to be different. It needs to be renewed. It needs the new car smell, right? We need to have the new car smell. You know, that really is the key to transformation. If you get this, right up here, if we can get this, it's ultimately the key to our spiritual transformation. Romans 12, verse 2, what does it say? Don't conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This is where it starts. This is where it begins. Right up here, how we think every day. Our thoughts, you, everyone here right now, our thoughts are going. We're thinking, man, what is this guy saying? When's it going to end? What are we doing after lunch? What's going on? These things are all going on in our mind. It's happening. And I'm thinking, what am I going to say next? No, no, it's all right here. But our minds are going a mile a minute all the time. And that's just, that is just the, the tip of the iceberg when it comes to our brains. You know, they say we can only have like seven conscious thoughts in our mind at one time. But imagine what's going on underneath the hood. Outside of that small seven thoughts, our subconscious is working. It's moving. It's doing things that we can't even think of. It's regulating my, my body, my nerves, everything from what I say and what I do. You know, it's our minds that's are crawling. It's what we put in here, what we allow. We are bombarded every single day by so many inputs yeah. from the world. Everything from, from we walk out the door from what we see from what we pick up on our phones, from what we watch on TV, from what's on the billboards, from what's going on at our works and our jobs, what people are saying, what people are talking about. These are all going into our brain and we're processing it all the time, all the day. It's what we, but if we want to renew that, we've got to get rid of 
garbage. We've got to get rid of the junk because it's going to come. It's going to come at us. But what, what instead we have to renew it. We have to take it, delete, delete, delete. But we've got to replace it with something good. What does Paul say? He says, put on the new self. You know, get rid of that bad stuff. But put on the new self. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Paul writes, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You know, we are new. We are brand new. We're like a baby. Christ said we were born again. You know, we are new. So what is, what is that new self? What does that mean to be a new creation? What are we supposed to be like? What it, I love it. You know, Paul writes in verse 24, it's so clear. He says that the new self is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You know, we are created after the likeness of God. That is incredible. True Righteousness. Do we understand what that means? What does it mean to have true righteousness? Becomes we become God's people. I'm so grateful for Mark and his communion. It's what it's all about. It's all about what Jesus did for us. It's so that we can gain the righteousness. We get access to the new covenant and enter into a relationship with our Creator. We become part of God's family. We are free from guilt and there is no condemnation. None. We stand pure and righteous before our God. You know, that is grace. That is God's gift to us. That we can have true righteousness. True righteousness. Not a a righteousness that's gained by following rules or checking the box. If I did this, I'm good. That's false righteousness. But we have a true righteousness. But that's not all. There's more. We also have holiness. You know, holiness, what does that mean? It means we are set apart for sacred use. We are set apart to carry out God's will here on earth, to allow Him to use us for His glory. What are you set apart to do? What is God calling you to do? What has he tasked you to do? Because you are holy. You are holy. You know, this is what we need to renew our minds with. This is the new program. This is the new operating system. It's no longer DOS or <laughs> Windows, whatever. This is, this is the new program. This is what we've got to fill our minds with. But the thing is, do we believe this? We can read this all day. But when we look at ourselves, when we stand in the mirror in the morning, do we see us the way God sees us? Do we view ourselves as truly righteous? Do we view ourselves as truly holy? We need to, because that's the truth. If we are baptized, if we are a true disciple of Jesus Christ, then that's the way God sees us. But if we're not, if we're not a disciple, then we are. We're back to the way, living the way the Gentiles do. We're in that darkened mind. We're living in futility. 
But this is how we need to renew our minds every day, truly understanding who we are before God. We need to see ourselves as God sees us. We need to see others the way God sees us. And when we do that, we'll get that new car smell, right? We'll have that new car smell, but it won't just be temporary. It won't just fade away. We can continue to, when we renew ourselves, and that's the great thing about what Paul's writing here, this, this idea of renewal isn't something that just happens. Yeah. It's a continual, ongoing process. It's like present, perfect, continuous. Grammar term there. <laughs> present, perfect, continuous. It's something that continues on and on and on each and every day. We continue to be renewed in our minds and in our hearts. You know, and as Paul, or no, as David as Mark shared with us in Psalm, you know, prayed that our hearts, renew our hearts and our spirit. Create in me a new heart. We need that new car smell. All right, so we're going to get practical now. All right? So knowing that, you're knowing, you know, the way we need to think, the way we need to, to train our minds. How should we live then? And this is, this is where the practicals come in. I got, I think, six practicals. There we go. I think I was too lazy to do the animation, so they come one at a time, but there they are. They're all up there for you. And all these practicals are there in verse 25 through 32. And really, there's not much you could say, you could say to them because Paul is pretty much laying it out. Okay, this is the way you used to live. Don't do that anymore. All right? This is the way you need to live now. You know, the first, the first practical is just plainly speak the truth. Speak the truth. You know, he says, you know, you know, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And I think we really, we really have to take this to heart. We really have to look and be careful of deceit in our lives and the things that we say to other people. We need to be honest. We need to be willing to speak the truth. You know, he goes on. This is, and all these, these are all really like the famous passages in Ephesians, right? And the second point here is get con- practical, is get control of your anger. You know, I, I believe anger is one of the, one of the, the key problems we all face. I mean, it's, it, it, it can kill us. I mean, it could take us out if we, don't, if we don't treat it right, if we don't get control of it. It is dangerous. And you know, well, you may say, well, I don't really deal with anger. I mean, there, there are two types of anger, right? There's the loud, man, I'm angry. Man, I can't believe what that guy just did to me. What nerve. There's that kind of anger, right? Like, come on. Let's go, right? And then there's the, the quiet, the anger. Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, whatever. It's no problem. Yeah, let's just, just move on. You know, we've got to deal with this anger that's in our heart. You know, I'm, I'm the quiet anger guy. You know, I used to think I didn't get angry. I didn't struggle with anger because it wasn't loud. I didn't yell. I didn't scream. I could be calm. 
But at times I'd find myself lashing out when I was alone. Just when my kids were younger, yelling at them. Just out of nowhere. Like, where is that coming from? What is this? I, I'm not an angry guy. But I am angry. I wasn't dealing with my anger. It was quiet. I was shoving it, pushing it down within my heart. But it continue to do that, man. It's coming out. One way or the other, you know, it's going to come out. We need to get control of our anger. It says that, you know, in our anger, do not sin. We're going to get angry, and it's okay to get angry. God was angry. Jesus was angry. It's okay to be angry, but what are we angry about? Are we angry because our pride is hurt? Because something happened to us? Are we angry because something happened to God? We need to deal with that anger quickly. What does it say? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. You know, we need to make sure, because anger will lead to sin. If we don't deal with it, it's going to lead to sin. We need to deal. That doesn't mean if you're, you and somebody are not getting along and you feel anger towards that person, it doesn't mean you have to reconcile with that person before you go to bed. It means you need to go to bed without that anger in your heart. You need to work on your heart. We need to deal with our heart. But certainly, first thing the next morning, you need to call that brother. Otherwise, it's going to come right back up. Right. <laughs> we need to deal with that and deal with our hearts. Third practical. Do honest work. I love this one. Do honest work with your hands. You know, what does it say? Where is it? It says, let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. You know, God created us for work. We were meant to be, meant to work. And that's, that's what we were meant to do. And we need to embrace the sacredness of our vocations. And we need to work as if we're working for the Lord. We need to have integrity in our heart that we're doing the best work that we can possibly do to honor and glorify God on our jobs. Why? So that we can help others. So that we can help meet needs. So we can give a special contribution. So we can help support the church. So we can be hospitable. So we can have people over. We need to do honest work. Practical number four. I like this. Watch your tongue. You ever, your mom ever tell you that? When you're young, you need to watch your tongue. You need to watch it. Watch the way you speak to me. I think, I think a lot of us don't watch our tongues. You know, unfortunately. You know, we need to think before we speak. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. You know, in our household, we have a little acronym. It's called THINK. You know, our kids have a little problem with this be honest, and I think I probably have a little problem with this as well. But think. Before you speak, think. Is this true? Is what I'm saying true? Is it going to be helpful? Is this going to be helpful to the person that I'm sharing? Is it inspiring? Is what I'm sharing inspiring to them? And then this is a big one. Is it necessary? Do I need to really share this at this time? Do I need to say this? And is it kind? 
So there you go, think. True, helpful, inspiring, necessary, and kind. I think we need to think. <laughs> we need to, to open our minds. And, and I think we're really, we've got to be on our guard for a critical heart. Because a lot of times we speak, it comes from a critical heart. And we don't really think. We have to be careful. We have to watch our tongue. The fifth practical, clean up your heart. Just got to clean it up, man. You got to deal with what's, what's in here. The junk, the mess. Look at the stuff he talks about here. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor. I'm not sure what clamor is. I guess loud stuff. Jumbled, I don't know. And clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So a lot of synonyms there, right? It's a lot of junk. That's all it is. It's mess. It's garbage. Stuff that can clog up our cart, make us calloused. If we don't deal with it. We need to deal with our heart consistently. And we know how to clean it up. Because if we don't clean it up, it just keeps coming in. Anybody have a garage, work, work area, an office? You know what happens if we don't routinely clean it up? Tiffany can tell you what happens to my office. <laughs> Just stuff piles up and piles up and piles up and garbage collects and builds up and builds up until you, until one day you're sitting in your office, your garage, and go, man, what happened? What happened here? And that's the way our hearts can be. At one point, we can, it, doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight. But one morning, we may make up and say, man, where has my heart gotten to? And finally, the last point is just be nice. Right? Let's just be nice, man. Mr. Rogers. <laughs> We're all neighbors. Just be my neighbor. It says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. You know, there are going to be times where we all don't get along, where we have bumps, we have issues, any relationships. It's like that. It's going to happen. But I think the key to it all is just we've got to be nice to each other. We've got to really love each other. We've got to be kind. Be tenderhearted. And it all works together, right? When, it, when we be speaking truthful, by thinking about what we're going to say, by working hard, working with our hands, by cleaning up the junk in our heart, it allows us you know, to have those relationships so that we can be nice. It sounds quaint, right? It sounds, I don't know if we got it, but it's true. You know, we need to be nice to people. When we go to work, we need to be nice. We're the guy that people, people like look to and say, man, you're always smiling. You're always happy. You're such a nice person. Be nice. So, amen? There's our practicals. So just in summary, I just want us to remember, we want that new car smell, right? If we want to keep that new car smell, we have to no longer... We have to stop. No longer live the way we used to. But instead, let's be renewed. And it all starts up here. Let's be renewed in the spirit of our minds. And when we do that, and when we're constantly dealing with our heart, we can go on and live the way God calls us to live. And not just checking off rules and checking off the box, but because he made us to be truly righteous. Because we're holy and we're set apart. Amen. Thank you.
you, Rob. If we could all 